Father, thank you so much that you love us. And Jesus, you, you told us that you are the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through you. Jesus, thank you that you usher us into God's full presence. And you do that so willingly, so availably, and all the time. And God, we're grateful. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can go ahead and be seated. would be great. Well, good morning to you. I am uh, happy to be here, and um, we are continuing this really kind of this fun series, this Be Known, Be Loved. We've been looking at, um, honestly, I shared with the worship team ahead of time this morning, a couple hours ago, or in the earlier morning, uh, you know, a lot of the concepts we're talking about in these series aren't like the brand new, wow, I've never heard that before. It's not so much the groundbreaking new concepts, but it's the groundbreaking new, wow, God, you need to work in my heart to make this come true. How do I, how do I understand really, as God knows me and loves me, how do I turn that then and do that to other people to truly allow them to know and love me and to truly know and love other people? And that's what this series has been about. Now, our theme verse for this series is, is in Romans 12, and it says, we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. And so many of us know and celebrate, and we've heard that we are all many parts, uh, part of it before, and we, we celebrate that, but it's the second half that really needs our attention for this series, the, the we all belong to each other. We're not just different, different parts, but we all belong to each other, because it's in that sense of belonging that we realize the loving isn't an option, okay? It's not choosing to love someone else out there, a stranger, an outsider. It's really learning to love ourselves, and it's that concept in that we want to run with. Our bottom line that Ron set out from the beginning is that when love is shown, God is seen, people are changed. And so what a great place to, to be, that, to know that God is seen and people are changed. We want to do that. So we've been looking during this series at all the ways, all the, all the ways that God calls us to love each other um, in, in the Bible, to honor each other, forgive each other, um, accept each other, love each other. And today we'll be challenged with the idea of bearing with each other in love, being considerate with each other. And the verse we'll be looking at, I'll hit it with you now, and then we're going to unpack it later, but it's Ephesians 4, verse 2, that says, be complete humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. So today we're going to look at an aspect of loving others at all times. And the first thing that I want you to write down, if you have your outline, you can pull that out. There'll be some fill in the blanks and some scripture verses written down there. But I want you to write down on your outline this encouragement. Allow God to help you be considerate. So you're going to write that word help in there. And that kind of brings up a question right off the bat, because when I think of the word considerate, it kind of just sounds like polite. And I'm not so sure that I really need God's help to be polite, at least most of the time, right? Do we really need God's help to be considerate? Well, here's the deal. If we want to be honest, and of course, we're going to unpack this concept of bearing with each other in love and being considerate is what that really means. But am I able to do that on my own? Do I really need God's help? Uh, and, and, and can I be considerate? And the reality is, to be honest, I just can't. I can't. I can't. Not all the time, not all the way, not consistently, not habitually, not through and through, and not enough. So before, I guess here's where I'm at. Today, there'd be a chance that we're going to look at these things and end up beating ourselves up for how bad we are. I just can't do that. I take two steps forward and one or two or sometimes three steps back, right? It's I make some progress and then I don't. So I'm going to feel guilty about what I'm not doing. I'm just going to try harder this week to do better at these things that God calls us to do. Um, and we need to stop and look at the verse that precedes our verse of study today, because Ephesians 4.2 is what we're going to look at. But I want to give us the context of what God is talking about. So we're going to back up one verse to Ephesians 
fun. It was kind of my little creative thing this week to say, let's make sure we understand what we're talking about here. And it says this. This is a turning point in the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters long, and, and, and the first three chapters are kind of one basic theme, and the next three beginning here. Let me read this for you. It says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, again, what's happened here is that in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, it's considered to be the most theologically advanced and deep book in all of the Bible, if you really dig into it. And so much is set up in that first three chapters that digs deep about how God has chosen you and how God has called you and how he's gifted in you and gifted you and how he's done all these things for us. It's all this theology of understanding our identity in Christ and the hope and the freedom and the joy and the life and new life that he's given us. And then, because of all those things that he's done for us. Now he says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Because of all that I've done, you are now able to, and then the next three chapters really take a look at the practice. So we really have kind of the theology and the purpose behind, and then we get into the practice. And so I want you to write down this as an important point here, and this is all kind of pre-stuff. We're not even looking at Ephesians 4-2 yet. But this is what I want you to write down. You are called by God, so you are also empowered and now you can live worthy. And those two words are so important. We're called by God, so you are empowered, and now you can live worthy. Now, this word worthy is important to understand here because it literally means bringing up the other beam of the scales. Now, back in the day, I threw a little goofy picture up here. We can take a look at it and see of a scale here. And it's back in the days of those kind of scales, right? So there's a beam here that tries to do it. And so you're going to put some weight in some, and then you're going to balance it by adding it up and, and evening things up. And that's really what this word live a life worthy is saying. It's bringing up the beam of the scales. The idea that the way you live your life, the way you live is going to balance your calling. You will exactly balance and live equivalent to what you believe. Here's your call. Here's your, here's your, your belief system here. And then you're going, to, you're going to actually be balanced. And so to live a life worthy is saying, hey, you're simply doing what you're called to do. And you know what? You're simply do what, doing what you're empowered to do. Because God just doesn't call you from a distance and say, good luck with that. Okay? This is important. God calls you and he empowers you. I want you to get this. God will never call you to do or be something that he doesn't empower you to do or be. Did you catch that? God will never call you to do or be something that he doesn't empower you to do or be. So his calling isn't just good luck there. His calling is saying, I'm calling you to this. The scale goes down and I'm empowering you to be exactly what I called you to be, to be worthy, to be in balance. Ah, I've got it. That scale is balanced. It isn't living a life worthy of your calling through self-effort alone. It's submitting to God and allowing him to balance that scale. He's the one who will empower you to be all that he has made and called you to be. You don't have to do it on your own, which is great because you can't, right? So I just want to set that, that table to, to down here. And so set, set things as we get started. What does that worthy or that balanced scale life look like? It's God-focused, and really in our life here on earth, it's God-focused, and, uh, and it's others-focused. And we'll see the four ways that show this balance between calling and character and action in our verse that we, we looked at and we'll now unpack. We're gonna, we use this term, be considerate, to kind of, that's kind of the term we're using for the concept we're talking about today. Even though the verse itself doesn't use considerate, that's the term that we're using to say, what does that really mean and what does it look like? So before we dive into Ephesians 4, 2, and pull it apart a little bit, 
I have to just make a true confession, and that is this. Um, today, this topic is not my personal specialty, okay? True confessions. And so I, I find for myself when I look to God and to empower me to great things, I usually look for things like strength to move mountains, you know, charisma to get people to come to follow Jesus Christ, or I, I pray for power, uh, power to, to, for strength to pray powerful prayers or to to, uh, to I pray for wisdom to solve unsolvable problems. All these great and mighty things that God calls us to here. But being considerate, humble, gentle, and all that, that's not usually at the top of my list. That's just me. It's not my first inclination. But I have to say this. It was Jesus' first inclination. It was Jesus' very nature, his entire life. And so I'm speaking to you today about things that I'm still learning and hopefully that I'm growing in. It's a part of my journey. Sometimes I love being up front going, I mean, I've discovered great things I want you to know. Today I'm saying I'm discovering great things that aren't necessarily a natural part of me, even in my journey, my spiritual journey. So I'm in that place with you. And some of you are probably far beyond me, but let's journey together if we can. So acknowledging that God is our power source for his calling in our lives today, let's hit the body of our outline as we look at the verse. And it says this, kind of your heading, God empowers you to live a worthy, considerate life. Okay, that's kind of what we're looking at. And what does that life look like? There's four things here in Ephesians 4. Two. First of all, he calls us to be completely humble. Be completely humble. And that's what it says right there at the beginning of Ephesians 4. Two, be completely humble. And it goes on. Now, um, easier said than done, probably right. The, the word humble, and the New Testament in our Bible was originally written in the Greek language, and I know sometimes from up front we talk about the Greek, and some of you are kind of like, it's all Greek to me, what are you talking about here? And, and the reason why we do that is not to make it distant for you, to kind of like, well, why bother to read the Bible if they're just going to, the Greek says something different. It, it doesn't. We do our best, on all these translations of the Bible, they want to they translate it into the English to mean the best for you, but we also don't want it to get really long. And sometimes the Greek language speaks in such a way that there's just not a great way to put it in the English without talking about it in detail. And then your Bible would be like 6,000 pages long, right? So sometimes if we go back to the original Greek language, there's some things in there that uh, just a simple translation doesn't, doesn't do for you, or we can give more to it. So I just want to explain that because I'll be using it several times today. And the Greek language, this word for humility, it was used in classical Greek. This particular word for humble was only used a couple times in the whole New Testament. But in the classical Greek language, it was used, you ready? It was used as a derogatory term, uh, suggesting groveling service and low-mindedness. It really, it really was a put-down word. You know what I mean? If you were to say that someone wanted to be or someone was humble, you were really putting them down. And uh, you see, in the, for the classic Greeks, they, uh, they admired high-mindedness and standing tall and being wise and strong. So this word implying bending over to serve others, that was for losers. <laughs> Why would you ever want that? That's just not who we are. And so, uh, and, and so who wants that? So true success in life for them was having your act together. It was both looking and sounding like a million bucks and having people serve you. I mean, having someone else grovel at your feet. Only leave it to Jesus to turn this to turn this, this scorned attitude of humility into a mark of a worthy life, a mark of a worthy life to say, and this is not something to run away from and to scorn. This is what life can be about. A servant was seen as someone who lived to serve and please others, and of course, the modern Greeks were all about living for themselves. I don't want to serve others. This is all about me. Sounds a little bit like 
today, doesn't it? Hmm. So what a 180 Jesus brings about. Live for others, Jesus says, and follow my example. And of course, he lived that way. And so this humility, it changes from a despised negative word and becomes a hallmark of a balanced scale worthy life. One that we can truly aspire to. One that, in a sense, we can dream of. Instead of dreaming of the high-mindedness and being served, I can dream of truly being a servant. Now, it's also interesting to me here in Ephesians 4, too, that the word completely is a part of this. It's used. It doesn't just say humble. It says be completely humble. And I think it's there on purpose. Uh, I think that's because many of us, I think, and even for me, uh, we can function with periods of cal- what I'll call calculated humility. I'll be humble there. Not there. I'm, I'm kind of thinking it through. When does it fit, right? Calculated humility is there. And, and, uh, but being completely humble means not just occasional, but all the time. It means not just with some people, but with all the people. It means not just in some situations, but in all situations. It means not just being humble when you're well-rested and ready to serve, but all the time when you're tired, when you're worn out, when you're frustrated, when you're just flat-out done. It means not just acting with humility. It means being humble, becoming a humble person. And there's another great verse here I wrote in your outline. It's up on the screen as well in Philippians 2. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, there it is, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others as more significant than yourselves. Now, please understand that you are as significant and valuable to God as every other person alive, okay? So, so this verse isn't putting you down. It's, it's asking us to consider others as better than ourselves. That's being considerate. Consider others. See that word, considerate? Consider others as better than yourselves. You see, it's easy to put ourselves first. We just kind of naturally do that. So, so we need to consider others as better so we can serve them and love them and be considerate of them in every way. <laughs> well, there was a CEO. There's a story of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company who was, he was out driving with his wife, and he pulls in a service station to get some gas. And he goes inside to pay, and when he comes out, he notices that his wife is talking, engaged, very animated with, with the service station attendant. And it turns out that she used to know this guy. In fact, before she knew and married him, she even dated him in high school, the service station attendant. So he's kind of interested, and he pays. He gets in his car, and he drives along, and he's feeling pretty good about himself. Kind of looking over, finally says to his wife, I bet you were thinking, I bet you were thinking how glad you were that you married me and uh, a Fortune 500 CEO and not him, a service station attendant. She says, no, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd be a Fortune 500 CEO and you'd be a service station attendant. Bringing him down just a little bit, right? He was not living with a humble attitude, even curious about who this guy was. He was feeling very, very good about himself. And uh, if you think about it, even while we laugh, the wife wasn't being very humble either, was she? Right? So we have two very non-humble, very proudful people in context here. This idea of being completely humble, it's as contrary to our human nature as anything And it'll take a miracle of the Holy Spirit in our lives every single day to bring this about. I'm just absolutely convinced of that. Humility, even as a follower of Jesus, is not going to become that just go-to thing, that natural thing. Maybe someday it will. Certainly, I would hope that for myself. But that's something that we're aware of that we need to just, oh man, Jesus, balance my scales, balance my scales, bring it about. 
So I want to ask, what does humility look like in your, in your life? Where do you find it hard, hardest to serve others in true humility with no thought of recognition or reward? I'm going to serve, I'm going to do, I'm going to be that, and they may never know that I did that, and that's fine. Where does that need to come up in your life? Is that at home with the people we know best? Maybe that's at your workplace or in the community when you're dealing with people that you maybe feel don't always deserve to be served. Do you ever bump into those kind of people? I'm just glad that Jesus didn't wait for me to deserve his sacrifice and humble service because I'll never get there, right? He served and sacrificed his life for me in spite of my weakness and my faults. And then he says, balance the scales. I've given you a call. Be worthy of that. Be like me. Well, next is God empowers us to live a worthy, considerate life. We're called to be completely gentle because we hit the humble thing and we could spend all morning on that, but we're going to move to the next part of this verse. Be completely humble and gentle. And uh, gentleness here in Ephesians 4, 2 is closely linked with humility. It's, they're just kind of right there side by side. And, and, uh, and although it's a, uh, I couldn't think of a better way to put it, being gentle is kind of a gentle word, isn't it? It's a, it's a gentle word. It's a soft, fe- a soft feeling word. In the midst of all of that, there's an element of restraint that's included in that word. This element of restraint is there so that it shows controlled strength controlled strength and not just weakness. Maybe you've heard that before. Oftentimes, the gentleness that the Bible talks about is not just softness, but it's controlled strength, strength under control. You see, it's not saying the follower of Jesus should be gentle because they're too weak to be anything else. Okay? It's, it's not that. It's not that. Rather, Jesus makes us strong. And the truth is, Ephesians, earlier in Ephesians, before we started verse four, chapter 4, it tells us that we have, as a follower of Jesus, if you've given Jesus your life and he's in your heart, we have all the power in us of the Holy Spirit. And that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that's God himself, that power exists in you, and he wants that to be in you and to be used in and through you. It's God's power, and that gets exciting for me, and hopefully for you too. It's in you if you're a follower of Jesus. But, but Jesus doesn't ask us to take on the world with power, at least most of the time he doesn't. Ah, I'm powerful. We choose and exercise restraint. It's, it's power under control that shows the world the impact of a God of love and gentleness and how he can make us others focused. Again, the word completely appears here in Ephesians 4.2. It says, be completely humble and gentle. That completely word colors both of those terms. Be completely gentle. And all that whole, all the time in every situation, gentle, that applies there as well. And it ties to this verse in Ephesians 4.5. I had to put this in. I'll explain to you why. It says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Evident to all. Evident to all, always, everyone, completely. Not just when you think of it, not just when you feel like it. I think of Jesus' restraint when he was um, unjustly arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew it was coming, but even still, the soldiers appear, and he's kind of like, this is just wrong. I have done nothing. And, and all the way to the cross, Jesus' power was under control. It was restrained. He was choosing to show love and gentleness because the truth is he could have called down an army of angels at any second and just turned things around, taken out all the soldiers, all the enemies, all the religious mucky mucks who were around accusing him of simply being who he was. 
And at any point, he could have done that. And yet, he said, you know what? My life here is one of love. It's of humility. It's one of service. It's one of gentleness. And he chose to express that. Love expressed through not overpowering those who, uh, those around him who were wronging him. And I ask myself, how easy is that for me? And my quick answer is not so much. Not so much. Gentleness is one of those, and I'll just say it, I said it earlier, it's one of those weakness-sounding words to me. And because although I intellectually know the things I'm telling you, you know, power under control and all those sorts of things, I still battle that inner feeling that my not showing power and strength is being a wimp, right? I'm here at church and people are looking for answers, come to me, I got to give them an answer. It's got to be a good one. And we're going to move fast and we're going to move strong, right? Because that's what God calls us to. And it's People will think less of me if I don't show my strength. And that's a lie. And, and, and I know it, but acting with it is tough. I don't know if you struggle with this like me, but it's not gentleness. gentleness. It's not Jesus. So I pray that I keep learning, and, and so does my family and the people around me. <laughs> pray that I keep learning. I am better when I let the Holy Spirit make me gentle. So I'm saying that out loud. Lord, that's a, that's a, a statement of truth. Make it so. But how about you? Because I get to talk about me, and that's kind of fun. You can sit back and smile and go, yeah, Pastor John's struggling with that. Me? How about you? Especially if you're a powerful woman or almost any guy. I mean, let's be honest, right? A woman laughs. Where would you benefit from exercising gentleness? Who around you would benefit if you didn't always exercise your power in a way that um, lifted you up, potentially at the expense of someone else. Because that's what I find very often when power is exercised, even if I'm trying to do it in a godly way, as it sometimes puts me up and puts somebody else down, even subtly so. I think we have some work to do. Oops, God, you have some work to do to balance my scales, right? Third, in this verse, as God empowers us to live a worthy, considerate life, we are called to be patient, called to be patient. See, I had these easy things today to talk about that just we all know. How's it, how's it looking like in your life? Well, the word patience here, you know, we think about patience being, you know, being steadfast and steady in the midst of difficulties or trials. And it means that, but it also here, it, it also relates to others. As it relates to others, it means a reluctance to avenge wrongs meaning not just, man, be patient for the light to turn or something like that, but when somebody wrongs you, oh, they're wronging me, I need to get them back. And it's a reluctance to avenge that wrong. It's really a characteristic of God himself. That's the nuance of this word patience. You see, God doesn't zap us out of existence every time we blow it, you know, every time we offend him, and that's a, a good thing, right? <laughs> he doesn't do that, but he's reluctant and slow to avenge wrongs. And is that us? I know I can fall into that trap myself, when we, when we kind of rush to make things right when we're offended. Well, another verse on patience as it relates to others is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, let's leave that verse up for sure. I'm telling the people in the back because I want us to look at these words because honestly, look at that list of people, the idle, the faint-hearted, the weak, these are the people I have the hardest time being patient with, don't you? You know, the strong and fast-moving and smart and all those sorts of things. I don't usually have to be patient, but be, be patient with the idle that are sitting around and those ones that are kind of timid and the weak. Oh, my goodness, get moving. Or at least get out of the way so we can get something done. Just this past week, I, uh, I was wronged. 
So I was leaving my house. We live up on Banner, leaving private roads, single road, and the one part, it's narrow, and a family of geese got in the road, and they live in the nearby pond. Cute little guys, and they, but they get in the road and doing their little waddle thing. And I'm in the car, and I, and I got places to be. I'm coming to church or whatever. And, and, uh, but, you know, there's really no place for them to get off the road, and they aren't going to fly. They're too little. You know, these little ones, and they just waddle in the road, and the, you know, the dad looks back at me a little bit. His is like slow. And I just, and I just wait. Geese get out of the way, but they're so cute. And so I was able to be patient, and they finally get off the road, and I drive by, and I smile and wait. <laughs> cute geese. Turn up, up the dirt road, over, get on Banner Lava Cops, throw down, and about 150 yards later, how dare he? A construction dude, a road worker with a stop sign, holds it up right in front of me, telling it's my turn to stop. Because for the last forever, they've been working up on Banner, replacing power lines, working on the road, and ID, and they're stopping us, stopping us, stopping us, stopping us, stopping us, stopping us. It's not my turn to be stopped. It's his turn to be stopped. It's my turn to go. And he holds his stop sign in my face, and I start to simmer a little bit. Two minutes after the geese experience, it's things are different, right? My blood starts to simmer, and didn't you know I was going to be late? I had important things to accomplish for the Lord here at Twin Cities Church. Okay, God is calling me to be here because we have some things that we need to do to serve the Lord. And, uh, and he arbitrarily stops me because he thought it was someone else's turn. How wrong was that? And he was not nearly as cute as a goose family. <laughs> so I wasn't quite as patient as that. And I'm starting, mm, you know, through and how long, look at the watch. Maybe I'll turn around and go around through that. And then and the Holy Spirit very gently nudges me. John, what are you talking about this week? Shut up. Wait, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I thought it for a second. Oh, Lord, ouch. You know, okay. All right. I'm being wronged. I've got places to do. I have more important things to to be here. Can you be considerate? This man's doing his job. I know he's doing his job, but he's not doing it very well. The idle, the faint-hearted, the weak, the worker, someone who's just doing something different that I might want of him. I'm not going to be so quick to, to avenge wrongs and run him off the road and tell him to get out of the way or something. God, God wants me to learn to be considerate, this bearing with one another in love that's here. I force myself to breathe, and I'll get a chance to do it again because they keep working up there. <laughs> it's been forever. If you live up there, you know what I'm talking about. So where do you need to allow God to bring about his patience in you? See how I worded that? I didn't say where do you need to be more patient because on our own, we're chowing, aren't we? Where do you need to allow God to bring about his patience in you? God is patient with us, so patient, and he wants to bring that about in you. Is it with your spouse who doesn't always read your mind perfectly? Or who doesn't always say or do the best thing at the right time, at least according to you? Or do you need more patience at work? Patient at work, dealing with those difficult co-workers or those difficult customers or clients? Wouldn't work and life be uh, so much easier if the difficult people got out of your way? <laughs> Encourage the idle. Right? And, and the, the faint-hearted and the weak. Well, finally, our fourth thing, finally, and this really brings it all together, finally, as God empowers us to live a life, to live a worthy member, a balanced, considerate life, we're called to bear with others. Bear with others, bear with one another in love. And that's that verse. Be completely humble and be completely gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Now, when I started thinking of bearing with others this week, really that was kind of my overall arching theme. My mind went to the idea of bears. Kind of a stretch, right? Bears. Bear with one another. You know, brown bears, grizzly bears, yogi bear, <laughs> all those sorts of things. That's what came to mind. And I realized that my idea of bearing with others doesn't always line up with God's. So boy, do I need his help here as well. I told you this was me needing help today, right? You see, for me, bearing with others, especially with others who might rub me the wrong way, means to tolerate them as long as I can and hope they go away, girl. Hopefully I'm growling quietly just inside so they don't hear it. <laughs> well, I have a little video that might help you see it uh, in bear action. So let's check this first video out. I'm bearing with you. It's time for you to leave. I really think it's time for you to leave. You're bugging me. <laughs> kind of violent. We cut out before it got worse in the midst of that. They're stalking each other, barely bearing with each other until they jump and attack. And this is not what God has in mind. Bear with others doesn't mean growling until something changes, until you intimidate the difficult person and they go away. Or maybe you just growl the whole time in passive, passive aggressive complaint inside. God, this stinks. They are so unreasonable. I can't wait to... You know what I mean? I actually find myself growling sometimes. Um, and like I say, usually it's not so loud. And, and it certainly doesn't mean growl a bit and then attack if things don't change, which is what we had here. The bear's kind of going, you're in my space. Well, you're in my space. You're in my space. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get more aggressive than this, right? Well, gave it away, but let's go ahead and check out this second video. This is God's perspective a little bit more. We're getting along. We're playing together. We're sharing a slide. We're looking after each other. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure God wants us to be baby pandas, not crotchety adult grizzlies and brown bears. What do you think? I can share a slide. I can share it with you. We can do this together. I can tumble over you. You okay? Everybody okay? I can be considerate. I don't know. Sometimes something visual just helps me. You know, I'll walk away from today's message months from now, and God will bring back the grizzlies versus the pandas and go, God wants me to be a little baby panda, right? That's the bearing with each other that he wants. Now, the truth is bearing with another person to go from that to the Greek language, but we're going to go there. In the Greek language, it literally means to hold them up. See, for me, when I think of bear with someone else, it means tolerate them and maybe do it with a smile instead of a grr. But just put up with them, right? Tolerate them, put up with them. But it doesn't mean put up with other people's faults and idiosyncrasies as we roll our eyes. Oh, boy, right? It means to actually not just put up with them, but hold them up. We support them in, in the midst of their quirks and the things that can annoy us. And we do it in love because... Jesus puts up with us and our quirks and idiosyncrasies because we have them, don't we? And speaking for myself, Jesus has put up a lot, put up with a lot from me. The cool thing is Jesus, Jesus doesn't just put up with us as in barely tolerate us, but he chooses to 
Jesus chooses to partner with us, to, to hold us up as he uses us to accomplish his mission here on earth. Did you get that? Jesus leaves and says, you've got my mission, and I'm not just going to tolerate you and put up with you. I'm going to actually hold you up and entrust you to actually do and be all that I've created you to be so that you can accomplish my mission here on earth. Wow. That's a whole lot better than just being tolerated, isn't it? Just being put up with. It helps so much when you're looking to bear with others, when God, it's helped me when he reveals to me how much others are, are called to bear with me and how much they, I need them to bear with me. I need that myself because I'm a challenge. I am. And so are you. In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you're sometimes a big challenge. Go ahead and say it if you know them. If you don't know them, that could be awkward. Now, let's get really honest here. Turn to them again and say, I'm sometimes a bigger challenge than you are. Because some of you spouses were like, I just told him or her, and now you... Okay, so here we go. Being considerate. Let's just back up for a second. Bearing with each other in love. It means balancing the scale of God's calling with our own behavior with his power. We actually act like what and who God called us to be, and he empowers us to do that. And we're called and empowered to be completely humble. That's to serve others in that very unnatural but very godly way to think of themselves, to think of others more highly than ourselves. We're called and empowered to be completely gentle, to slow down, to be softer, to move easier, to put that power under his control so that God is glorified. Oh, that power is used sometimes in some ways. But gentleness. We're called and empowered to be patient, not quick to avenge and punish wrongs. And we're called and empowered to bear with one another in love. And I think this one summarizes it all so well. Don't just put up with others, barely tolerating them while saying, Grr. but hold them up team up with them, love them, because God more than put up, puts up with you. God holds you up. God holds you up, and, and he calls us to hold each other up with no gurs needed. Let's pray together. God, we had a chance to look at, at one verse, and yes, we've looked at, at more in the context, but, but we see a, a short verse that lists four super simple things <laughs> that are so hard. God, because our world and our lives, our culture preaches the exact opposite. It says, live for yourself. Do what feels right. Take care of number one. And all those things, God. And yet what Jesus modeled and what you call us to and what you empower us to is something so different. Father, we want to learn to be considerate. We want to bear with one another in love. Not like those darn grizzly and brown bears, God, but, but like little pandas we saw, Lord, that'll let someone go first, that will be gentle, that will be humble, that will be loving, that will actually lift others up instead of just tolerating them, God. You call us to so much more. Father, I'm just grateful that you have come into my life and you're, you're working in me as I allow it. God, continue to do that. Lord, and I just pray for anybody out here that, that hasn't yet made a decision to follow Jesus, that, that they would do that. And if you're here today, you, 
Just open up your heart and your life to him and say, God, I think these things are impossible for me, but if, if, if you're coming into my life, make them happen. I want that. I want to receive forgiveness. I want to receive eternal life, frankly, in Jesus Christ. You can receive all that he has for you so that you can be what he created you to be. And for those of us who've made that decision to follow Jesus, Lord, we need to submit and we need to just give up and surrender so that these things can become real in our lives, so that we can be a people that love and and others can see that love and that humility and that gentleness and that patience as we bear with one another and lift each other up, each person around us. Lord, we need your help and we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.